Um, at our church, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. We've been kind of going through this series called um, Fear and Folly. And it's about contrasting wisdom and foolishness. It's about contrasting uh, people who live in the knowledge and understanding and inside of the Lord and people who don't have those things and the wayward lives that they have. And Proverbs is a book that speaks on just this huge variety of topics. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, you'd have a bit of an understanding about the different topics we see there. Um, Proverbs, first and foremost, it's not a book that's idealistic. It's not a book that's like a self-help book. Proverbs is a really nitty-gritty, blunt, down-to-earth book. It deals with some interesting topics. It deals with a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, we're, you know, we've been in Brankston in this book for a long time. And so we're kind of jumping in on one of the sermons that um, I've been preaching on. And that's uh, this topic of friendship. Friendship. Um, and we see with friendship, this concept of friendship, um, we, we can kind of answer these questions. How can I make quality friends? Uh, how do I know a good friend from a bad friend? How can I keep friends? How can I make friends? The book of Proverbs is concerned with these questions because good friendship results in good community. Good friendship results in a flourishing, thriving church community. And so we want to know what it means to be a friend. We want to know what it means to be um, connected to each other. And it's ironic that in this kind of technological um, age where we're all connected in so many different ways, good friendship is kind of hard to come by. Quality, good, solid friendship is almost a dime a dozen. And technology has made our lives easier. And don't get me wrong, it's a God-given blessing, the technology that we have. So I praise God for those things. I'm not against it. But uh, it hasn't made everything easy. Uh, we move around from town to town because jobs are much easier to be transient with. We move from town to town. And if you move from town to town, some of you guys have, I know I have, it makes it really hard to make friends, doesn't it? If you're constantly moving, you're constantly meeting new people, and your opportunity to make deep relationships is really hard. And so we move around from town to town. We uh, make hard to maintain. Friendships. You might have 500 friends on very few real friends. Some of you might not feel it at all. In fact, some of you may not have had any idea what it means to have a decent friend that sticks through it, thick and thin, and because of that, you don't actually feel the lack for it. You don't know what you're missing. Experience some of us have it. You might turn to Michael Scott and Jim and Pam from the office and rush them to uh, Parks and Rec and watch Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson and have a good old laugh. And these friends always get into conflict, but at the end of the episode, they're back together again. They're friends again, and it feels good. Because in this world, guess what? When we fall into conflict, is there any resolution? Rarely. Once you have a conflict with someone, see you later. That's the end of the friendship, isn't it? That's the end of that. And so what we find interesting in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, well, most of it, friendship is not easy. That's the one thing that King Solomon, I think, wants to communicate to us is it's not easy. You have to learn how to do it. Even before TV shows and entertainment, hard, and I would say even harder today. But the better you are at loving your neighbor, the more satisfaction and joy you will have 
in your friendships. So we're going to dive into the book of Proverbs, see what wisdom we can see. And right off the bat, I'm going to give you three hot tips, quick tips, something you can take away, stash in your back pocket, bring out every time you need to, just some really good advice. Tip number one, don't be a morning person. Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. I'm a zombie in the morning. I know this proverb really well. I used to go surfing uh, in, when I lived in Sydney and I used to go pick up my mate and I would get there at like 6 a.m. And uh, I was just, I was dead. And this guy is like the most intense person and it seems to just get worse the earlier you meet him in the day. And uh, he was always, you know, wanting to launch into some deep conversation, always telling me about some hectic thing that happened in his life, always wanting to sing songs, not even joking. He would put songs on and be like, dude, sing with me. This is great. It's just like a really intense personality. And I, man, I dreaded those car rides. They were a curse to me to have to be there with this, uh, you know, intense morning person. Uh, hot tip number two, don't overwhelm a person. Uh, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. This is the person that's always around. You can never get rid of them. They always seem to be there, always inviting themselves over, always wanting your attention, messaging you every day. It's cute if it's your spouse, but if it's your mate down the road, it starts to get less and less cute. And Proverbs warns us here, don't overwhelm your friend. There comes a point where you spent too long in their house. You need to move on. You need to find uh, someone else to hang out with. Uh, we shouldn't just focus all our attention on one person. Uh, hot tip number three, be careful how you make fun of your friend. Proverbs 26, 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. That's that person that loves lobbing grenades into conversations and then is never there to pick up the mess that ensues from it. That's someone who uh, is, you know, that kind of, um, they always touch on people's insecurity. They joke about inappropriate topics. And then when someone gets offended, it's just like, whoa, dude, chill out. It's just a joke. Can't you take a joke, man? Can't you, you know, don't be so serious all the time. Uh, I'm not talking about good-natured ribbing and banter. Like, banter's great. I'm, I'm a big fan of banter. I'm not against banter. But if you're insulting someone to them, you're, you know, poking their insecurities and trying to get a reaction out of them, and it's, it's quite deceitful to do that because you're doing it for your own joy. It's like, it's kind of cruelty in a way. And you're poking them and you're hitting on truth, deliberately trying to get a reaction uh, Proverbs says it's like a madman who throws fire, brands, arrows, and death. You're separating people. You're not bringing people together. So those are my three quick hot tips, um, kind of just like some silly examples. But we're going to get into um, my first point, and that's there are many barriers to friendship, many barriers in this world to friendship. We're going to look at three. Proverbs three twenty nine. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. Who dwells trustingly beside you. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 19, 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Now, I've quoted these three proverbs. Uh, I quoted them because the reality is this. We don't often have many friends, 
because we're pretty dodgy people. We're pretty selfish. We're pretty self-serving, insular, using. Uh, we don't really want to hang out with people that make us uncomfortable or, you know, that are just not at that level of cool that we want them to be, to be able to hang out with our little friendship, our little clique. Uh, and the proverb tells us, don't take advantage of people. The first one, don't plot evil against your neighbor. Don't take advantage of people who trust you. People who dwell trustingly beside you. Uh, whoever dwells with you thinking that they can plot these things to take advantage, the first barrier ultimately to wise friendship is you. You're the barrier. You're the one who plots evil against people. You're the one who manipulates people. You're the one that uh, calls people into a relationship with you only so that you can gain from them. That's the first example. The first barrier to friendship is you. The second barrier to wise friendship is obviously the next step out, others. The opinions of others. It says a whisperer separates close friends. And some of us here may have had that experience where we were good mates with someone. We were close to someone. And then a lie was told. Slander came in. Gossip came in. Both parties heard about it. Both parties never talked about it. But now that that gossip and slander had come in, those close friends are no longer as close. And we see these whispers coming in in order to create slander, gossip, rumors to separate close friends. It's a second barrier to friendship, other people. Third barrier to wise friendship is a lack of authenticity. Wealth brings new friends. I remember in high school having a crisp $20 note going into the canteen. Man, I was a king. Everyone in my friendship group wanted to be around me then because they know, knew I could get them something from the canteen. And I felt that rush of like power, like people wanted to hang out with me. This is great. And yet when that $20 note disappeared out of my hands and I went and bought some things, did people hang around? It says a poor man is deserted by his friends. When you come into uh, poverty and destitution, you find out very quickly which friend was real, which friend actually cared about you or which friends used you. When you lose resources, which friends love you or which friends loved your resources? Uh, Proverbs 19.6 says, many seek the favor of a generous man. And everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. You want a quick way to make friends? Give lots of gifts, spend your money lavishly. But Proverbs is not telling you you're going to make quality friends through that. In fact, you will not make quality friends by doing that. Uh, Matthew Henry is a great reformer and he comments on this proverb. He says... Wealth enables a man to send many presents, make many entertainments, and do many good offices, and so gains him many friends who pretend to love him, for they flatter him and make their court to him, but really love what he has, or rather love themselves, hoping to gain from him. Three barriers to friendship, many barriers to friendship. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Really, this is the kind of friendship that Proverbs holds up and says, this is what you want. A friend loves not when you're rich. A friend loves not while you're popular. A friend loves at all times, at all times. Whether we're rich or broke, popular or unpopular, strong or weak, healthy or sick, this is the kind of friend that a wise man or woman 
will uh, foster. That friend will be there in times of trouble. That friend will have your back. That friend is the kind of friend that you need. They will stay with you. They'll pray with you. They'll support you. They'll encourage you. They'll care for you. Even when you're in the wrong, even when you've messed up, they're not just going to shed you. They're going to love you. It brings me to my second point. Choose quality over quantity. Quality over quantity. Proverbs uh, 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The point of this proverb is, is this. It's, if you're famous, popular, well-liked, it's not protect, uh, protection against the uncertainty of this world. Having hundreds of friends who are acquaintances are often indifferent to you when you fall under strife, as I was saying before. But it's much better to have a small group of dedicated friends. It's much better to have three close friends who love you than a thousand acquaintances who barely know you, who barely know who you are. What we want to pursue is not quantity of friendship, but quality. And it's like a classic high school example, but everyone in high school wants lots and lots and lots of friends. But high school is the classic example of shallow friends. Don't give in to that high school teenage temptation you have to want to have heaps and heaps of friends. But rather take on board what Proverbs says. Take on board what Proverbs says. Don't spread yourself thin over a broad swathe of people. Don't, and I'm not talking about a clique either. We're not going to, I'm not saying don't go pursue like, like hundreds of friends and form like a little clique because we want to be connected in a church and we want to love each other at church. But what we ultimately need is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a place to belong. We need ultimately a godly gang that has our back. C.S. Lewis says this, while friendship has been by far the chief source of my happiness, acquaintance or general society has always meant little to me. And I cannot quite understand why a man should wish to know more people than he can make real friends of. Being well-known and well-liked might make you feel good, might make you feel validated, feel important, but ultimately it's a harsh mistress and it's going to leave you anxious, and more desperate than before. My second point is this. Authentic friendship will shape you. Authentic friendship will wound you. Authentic friendship will build you into something greater than you were before. Check these examples out. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, 17. Classic one, you guys will know this one. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. See, a lot of us are looking for friends that give us good vibes all the time. You know, we want them to give us good vibes. We want to feel good around them. We want to uh, be stoked to be there. We want to have heaps of fun. We want to have heaps of entertainment. The sweetness of a friend doesn't come from the good vibes. The sweetness of a friend 
comes sometimes from the hard times. A true friend who really cares about you will say hard things to you. If you have a friend and you think, oh gosh, I can't remember a single time they've ever said anything mean or, or, or they haven't said anything that has got a reaction out of me, they've never criticized me, they've never said anything uh, bad, well, guess what? They might not be a friend at all. They might not care about you at all. They may just like the vibes you give them. And we don't get the luxury of uh, seeing how we come across to people. When you're chatting to someone, you can't just like slip out of your body and then watch you talk to someone and be like, oh man, I'm coming across as really arrogant right now. Oh man, I'm coming across like a bit of a jerk. You can't do that. You know who can do that? Your friend can do that. They can see when you're acting like a jerk. They can see when you're being insensitive. They can see when you're acting like a fool. And they can come alongside you and point out your flaws uh, better than you can. And so just like any human relationship, there'll be fireworks. You'll collide, you'll butt heads. Any proper relationship, you're going to butt heads. Anyone here who's married knows that. When you're dating, just before you get married, oh man, it's so good. You guys almost never butt head. You almost never have uh, conflict. And then you get married and you have to live together. And then all of a sudden, things start to collapse. All of a sudden, you're butting heads. And we were so perfect for each other. I mean, that was my experience. I thought... I honestly remember saying to Beck, oh, people are just talking about the first year of marriage being really hard. I don't think that's going to happen to us. I remember saying that. I'm now past our first year anniversary, and I can say I was wrong. I was an idiot. Don't resent your friend for bringing up flaws because it will shape you. The reality is when it says uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, most of us prefer the kisses of the enemy. Most of us prefer our friends to come and tell us nice things to flatter us, but it hides a sinister reality underneath. We prefer to be flattered and complimented rather than vulnerable and open with people. Proverbs is telling you here, embrace the wounds you receive. Embrace the wounds you receive. I, I like to picture a wise friend as like a marble sculptor. And in front of him, he sees this cube of marble. And inside the marble is a work of art. And your friend sees you and he sees what bits of marble need to be chiseled away. What bits of marble stop you from being all that God wants you to be? Uh, Proverbs says the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Learn to taste the sweetness of a rebuke. Taste the sweetness of a rebuke. God has set this up for your own good. They cut you, but with a scalpel to cut out some malignant growth within you. A good friend pokes your bruises so you learn to be more careful next time. We must grow to love this kind of friendship. And so the question for you is right now, think about your life. Do you love that kind of friendship? And I want to be honest with you right now. I don't really love that kind of friendship most of the time. Just a quick disclaimer. There is a difference between a friend and a critic. 
What I'm not talking about here, because some have just been waiting to tell these people it's going to be glorious. It's quick to tell other people about them. Rather, we need people that know how to use a scalpel to cut out a cancerous growth more than we need the person with a broadsword running around hacking everyone to pieces. When Proverbs is referring to as a friend out of a place, if you're going to rebuke or correct a person, ask yourself, am I correcting them because I love them or am I correcting them because I love myself and it feels good to tell someone their flaws? Nothing does more damage than a hypercritical person swinging a sword around the room. We need a calm, loving, rebuking correction. Do we have friends like this? Or do you chase friends like this away? Have you ever had a friend that said something hard to you and you were just like, well, that's, that was a good run. See you later. Who do you fight with? Who do you debate with? Who sharpens you? Count that person as a blessing from God. One of the greatest blessings I've ever got is the eldership here at church. I meet up with them every Monday. Sometimes those guys know how to use a scalpel. And I praise God for them because I would be so, I'd be much more immature than I am now if not for the wise men speaking into my life. Foster those friendships. Third point, genuine friendship is forgiving. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The proverb here is speaking about the necessary quality of a friendship that's going to stand the test of time, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. We live in a sinful, evil, messed up world. We hurt each other. And because that's true, you need to learn to forgive. You need to learn to forgive people. It says here, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Covering an offense means to put it away. It means to put it away. It means to forgive and not bring it out again. It means to forgive and don't store it up in a list in your head that you can bring up in for ammunition and an argument a little bit later. If you've forgiven someone, don't repeat it. It says here, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If you find yourself falling into an argument with people and you've just got that mental list and you're like, oh man, I'm going to slay them with this one. Rehashed old arguments, you bring it up, you slap it on the table and you say, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? You're saying this about me, but do you remember what you did? Do you think a close friendship will thrive in those environments? And this is like a classic marriage sort of thing, isn't it? where the couple will get into an argument and then all of a sudden, they're not arguing about the thing that sparked it, but they're arguing about something that happened a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Have they covered an offense? No, why? Because they don't seek love. They love themselves and not the person. They love themselves, not the person. When we forgive someone, it means don't bring it up again. It means don't bring it up again. If it's forgiven, it's forgiven. You have, you have this phrase that always says, forgive but don't forget. No, forget it if you've forgiven them. Forget it. Don't keep that list. A wicked person writes down a mental list. We don't want to be that. Real friendship is 
one of the greatest and deepest joys you'll ever have in life. Foster it, work on it, put effort into it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If there's anything that we can glean from the book of Proverbs right now is that friendship takes work. But even the most earnest, the most diligent, the most godly pursuit of friendship can still fall on the rocks. It can still be shipwrecked. And that feeling and that desire for friendship, we try to meet it with people and then we find that they just don't quite scratch that itch. They don't quite meet that desire because ultimately true friendship points to Jesus because he is your only true friends. No one can do for you what the Lord does for you. You cannot expect a human being to do for you what the Lord does for you. No one loves you the way he does. No one cares about you the way he does. No one knows you the way the Lord does and still loves you. Do you think your friend would love you if he knew everything that you had ever done in your entire life? He'd probably be like, man, that person is messed up. I'm hightailing it out of there. And yet Jesus sees that completely. Your whole heart is laid open before him. And what does he do? He pursues you. God put this desire for friendship into you so that you look beyond the men and women in your life and you look to him, the true source of all love and mercy. Genesis 3, what do we see? We're going to look into Genesis soon. Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve expelled from the garden. They're kicked out of the garden. They're expelled ultimately from friendship with God. Genesis says that Adam walked with God. Do you know what that means? It's actually a, a kind of a, a Hebrew saying, and it's friendship. Adam was friends with God, but he was expelled. When Adam willingly sinned and chose rebellion, God had no choice but to expel Adam and bar the way back. There is no way back. There is no way back to the garden. It's impossible to go back. And in this world of misery and betrayal, where even the best friends in this world fall short, we look ahead and we long for God to restore to us the friendship we once had. But God didn't kick us out forever. He kicked us out and then he went after us. He kicked us out and then he chased us and befriended us again. Try to understand the just immensity of, these, of this thing. God befriended you when you were unlovely. God befriended you when you were dirty. God befriended you when you were hostile and in rebellion to him. God befriended you when you were his enemy and destined for destruction and judgment in hell. That's when God loved you. By his sheer grace, that's when he loved you. When you were far from him, not when you were close, not when you were coming in front of him and trying to seek his friendship, he sought you first. And because of Jesus, we can do friendship radically different from the rest of the world. If you've got your Bible, please turn with me to John 15. I want to show you how the gospel absolutely just changes everything. John 15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you would love one another. What amazing words from Jesus. We can love each other because Jesus loved you first. We can begin to love them the way that he has loved us unconditionally. Friendship requires us to lay down our lives for each other, just as Jesus laid his life down for us. Notice how he chose us. He appointed us to bear fruit. He went after us when we were unlovely. Jesus tells a parable about when, uh, you know, the Jews at the time were, they thought they were pretty good people, pretty friendly people, people that fostered good friendships. And Jesus kind of pointed out the hypocrisy because he says, you know, what profit is it to you if, uh, you know, you're good to those who are good to you, if you're friendly to those who are friendly to you? Don't even the pagans do that? We need to recognize that it's easy to love people who are easy to love, who like the same things that we like, who are into the same music or into the same, you know, whatever is important to you. Same life stage, same age. But what profit is that to you? Everyone does that. Everyone does that. A Jesus follower fosters friendships with people that are vastly different to them. If Jesus so valued friendship among the brethren, who are we to revile it? Who are we to discount it? We are woefully inadequate as friends, but Jesus is gloriously adequate. Jesus laid his life down for us while we were still sinners. For every person that has put their trust in Jesus and turned away from their sin, Jesus has forgiven them. He has redeemed them. He has chosen them and appointed them to bear fruit. What was that fruit that they would love one another? That they would love one another. And so Christians in the room, just be real for a second. Who are your friends? Who are those that you can faithfully, lovingly rebuke? Who are those that can rebuke you? Who is in your life that you love enough to correct? And this is just a moment. If you have your phone, if you have a thing that you've been taking notes or writing down on, I want you to write down the names of at least three friends that you want to work on loving and caring for. I don't want to leave here with the gospel kind of slapping your heart, making you feel like you need to change, and then you forget it and you walk out. Who are those friends? Make a mental note, write it down if you have to, and pray that God would make you like Jesus in the way that you love and care for them. Pray that as you come before the foot of Jesus and are transformed by him, that you would love the way that he does. And then for the person in this room who is not sure as to whether or not they know Jesus, my expectation to you is come to him. Come to him. He has laid down his life for you so that you can be forgiven, 
so that you can be known by God and loved by him. He has paved the way forward for you to be reconciled to God through his death. Believe in Jesus today. You don't know what the future has for you. Make today the day that you trust in Jesus. Make today the day that your life is transformed. So Christians, remember, write those three friends down, people you're going to work on. Non-Christians, come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is that you have come after us. That, Lord, if it was up to us and our sin and our brokenness, we would never have come to you. Just like Adam in the garden, we would have rebelled. We would have gone astray. We would have sought our own kingdom. But, Lord, you have shown us true friendship. While we were unlovely, you loved us. While we were dirty, you cleaned us. And, Lord, our sin was great, but your grace was greater. Where our sin was abounding, your grace abounded all the more. And, Lord, I just pray for my friends here that maybe have uh, had a busy week and just forgotten your love. I pray, Lord, that you would cut them deep in their heart so that they would once again feel the weight of the gospel. Help us in our friendships, Lord. Help us to love the way that you have loved us. Help us to bear fruit in this that will abide. Lord, so that whatever we ask you in Jesus' name, you will give it to us. And Lord, I ask this of you in Jesus' name. Would you give this to people? And Lord, those who don't know you, would your spirit just be pulling them into relationship with you right now? Would they give in and surrender to your love and recognize that you are the only hope they have for salvation? We thank you that you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.